Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Thank you for being here again. You're welcome, Kyle. It's good especially to begin this season of Lent with you and with all the listeners of Redeemer Radio. And we have a special prayer for Lent that we're praying. This is Psalm 51. Yes, you know, this is a, a psalm that those who pray the Liturgy of the Hours pray every Friday throughout the year. So all priests pray this. And the church calls it the miserere psalm okay. because miserere means have mercy and so this is really a very appropriate psalm for us to pray during this season of lent as we ask the lord to have mercy on us all right so let us begin in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen have mercy on me god in your kindness in your compassion blot out my offense O oh, wash me more and more from my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. My offenses truly I know them. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. What is evil in your sight I have done? That you may be justified when you give sentence, and be without reproach when you judge. O oh, see, in guilt I was born, a sinner was I conceived. Indeed you love truth in the heart. Then, in the secret of my heart, teach me wisdom. O oh, purify me, then I shall be clean. O oh, wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear rejoicing and gladness, that the bones you have crushed may revive. From my sins turn away your face, and blot out all my guilt. A pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Give me again the joy of your help. With a spirit of fervor sustain me, that I may teach transgressors your ways, and sinners may return to you. O rescue me, God, my helper, and my tongue shall ring out your goodness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. For in sacrifice you take no delight. Burnt offering from me you would refuse. My sacrifice a contrite spirit, a humbled contrite heart you will not spurn. In your goodness show favor to Zion. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with lawful sacrifice, holocausts offered on your altar. And now let us pray together. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As you know, it's that's a, a very beautiful psalm, especially to pray during the season of Lent, Psalm 51, because it's a song, a psalm that expresses humility and uh contrition, sorrow for sin, and also great trust in God's mercy. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode of Truth and Charity, Bishop Kevin Rhodes remembers the life of Archbishop Daniel Beekline, the former Archbishop of Indianapolis, who passed away last month. Then it's on to all things Lent, Hear more about everything from Fat Tuesday binging to the significance of Ash Wednesday to the history of Lent itself. Bishop Rhodes will also answer the popular question, do Sundays count as part of the 40 days of Lent? Then it's on to a recent marriage and family conference coordinated with the Mormon Church in which Bishop was a keynote speaker. 
The show wraps up with Bishop answering questions submitted by listeners. You can submit your question for a future show by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here. We're going to be asking questions that you have submitted in a little bit. Before we do that, uh, we recently, a couple weeks ago, found out about the passing of retired Archbishop of Indianapolis Diocese. Yes, Archbishop Daniel Beekline, who was Archbishop of Indianapolis for nearly two decades. So Bishop Darcy, of course, knew him very well. Mm -hmm. I knew him less well. However, he was the Archbishop during my first year as Bishop of Fort Wayne South Bend. And actually, he installed me as Bishop here. Okay. Um, So he was a bishop I greatly admired. He, um, in these last years, he's really carried the cross of illness. Hmm. He lived at St. Meinrad Arch Abbey because he was a Benedictine. He was a member of that Arch Abbey before oh, he was okay. uh, ordained a bishop. And he was a bishop in Memphis, Tennessee, and then transferred to Indianapolis. But a great man. He was really a very prayerful man. He's very well known. His legacy, I think, would be in the area of Catholic education. He did a lot to strengthen the Catholic schools in Indianapolis. As a matter of fact, enrollment went up under his uh, time as archbishop, and especially his commitment to the inner city schools there. Uh, On a national level, he was very involved in the implementation of the catechism of the Catholic Church, and he did a lot to kind of bring about that renewal and catechesis to make sure that... um, the catechetical texts that we use in our schools and religious education are in conformity with the catechism of the uh-huh. Catholic Church. And then he was also very well known for his uh, concern for the poor and the needy, especially in Indianapolis. He did a lot with Catholic charities there. So really our state, the state of Indiana, was very blessed uh, to have him. I attended his funeral two weeks ago and really felt it was important that I be there. So I invite all the listeners to remember Archbishop Beekline in their prayers. And he also started up the seminary down there. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kyle. Yes, he started, he established the uh, Bishop Simon Brute College Seminary, Uh where we send our college seminarians now. It's located very close to Marion University and the seminarians attend classes at Marion. So that was a a great move on his part because it's a very good seminary. Would you ever start a seminary? No, I don't think so. We have great (laughs) seminaries that we're sending to, and we don't really have the priests to staff it. Oh, yeah. That's another thing I didn't think of. All right. Well, also today is Ash Wednesday, and this marks the beginning of Lent. thought maybe our Catholic word of the week could be the word Lent. Where does this word come from? It comes from the Old English. In other words, it's not a, it doesn't have a Latin uh, huh. derivation. There's an Old English word, lengthen, L-E-N-C-T-E-N. Okay. And it means spring. So, the, the season of spring. Uh-huh. And uh, actually in German, the word is lenz, L-E-N-Z, which okay. means spring, by the way. So, because this season of of fasting that we observe falls in the early part of the year, it became customary to use this word that means spring. Because the Latin word really for Lent is quadragesima, which refers to 
the 40 days. Oh, okay. And in other languages like Spanish, the word is cuaresma, uh-huh. uh, which means uh, derives from the word 40 uh-huh. or cuaresima in Italian. So it's interesting to see the, uh, the different languages. And, uh, but that's, that's where the, the word Lent comes from. And then where does Ash Wednesday come from, and why is it important? Well, it's it's a complicated history, Kyle. Let me get back to the beginning. I think this is helpful. Because in the second century, by the time of St. Irenaeus, the second century, we know that the church had a period of fasting before Easter. But it was very short. It was just a few days, I think, at the beginning, like 40 hours or something. But it was quite severe. I mean, they would, you know, they'd be eating nothing for 40 hours. Uh But then as the years went on, the church, you know, extended that period of preparation for Easter. The idea of quadragesima, the 40 days of fast, we do know in the 4th century, it's referred to in the Council of Nicaea. Oh, in the year 325, but it was chiefly a period of preparation for baptism. It was the time when catechumens prepared to be baptized and confirmed and uh, received the Holy Eucharist at Easter Vigil. Which we still do. Which we still do. And um, at the same time, it was a season of penance for those who had committed serious sins. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you've read about this in church history, this was something public. You know, public sinners were exclu- excluded from the Eucharist. Uh-huh. They had to do this public penance before they were absolved. Now, as this went on and developed through the years in later centuries, they were observing this quadragesima, this 40 days, and it was, you know, all Christians began to observe it, not just public sinners or not just catechumens, but but everyone was. But it was really 36 days, hmm. even though they called it quadragesima. But they realized, oh, we need to add some days okay. because it was basically 36 days. In other words, it was, it was six weeks, excluding Sundays. And um, so that's why they added the days before the first Sunday of Lent, beginning with the Wednesday, so that they would have 40 days, like Jesus' 40 days in the desert. Uh So then Lent began with Ash Wednesday. So then it added up to 40 days. But Uh notice, Sundays are not included in the 40 days. Right. Because Sunday was not considered a day of fast. Sunday was always the celebration of the Lord's resurrection, Uh even during Lent. So... Even if you added up the days now, you'll find out that there's, I guess, 46 days if you added the Sundays in. This question comes up a lot. People will ask me, oh, Bishop, how is it 40 days? Uh-huh. And, and then to add to the complexity of this, <laughs> let me just add one thing. Okay. It includes Good Friday and Holy Saturday mm-hmm. in the number 40, again, excluding the Sundays. Right. When, but, but technically... Since Vatican II, we don't consider Good Friday and Holy Saturday Lent. Right. Lent ends with the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday night. Hmm. But to be honest, even though Good Friday and Holy Saturday 
are not technically part of Lent. They are days of fasting. Sure. You know, especially Good Friday. Right. But even Holy Saturday should be a day of penance. Mm-hmm. So, so I know that was a simple question you asked, Kyle, but it required this rather extended answer. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd never heard that history before. Then how do the ashes come into play? Well, the ashes are a reminder of our mortality. Mm-hmm. When there's the imposition of ashes, the minister says as they're putting the ashes on the forehead, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Mm-hmm. So basically, that's the significance. And even back in the Old Testament, you know, people, it, when they were doing penance, would be clothed in sackcloth and ashes. So, yeah. so this even has Old Testament uh, beginnings. The other thing um, I think it's, some people ask, well, where do we get the ashes? Yeah. It's from the burned palms that were used on Palm Sunday the year before that many people put the palms in their homes uh-huh. and, and that for the year, but then they get burned and that's where the ashes come from. So hopefully that's helpful. The um, when, when we go and receive ashes on Ash Wednesday, as I said, the minister will say, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Or they'll use another formula. The church has two formulas mm-hmm. for the imposition of ashes. So it's really up to the minister which formula they choose to use. The other formula is repent and believe in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So... I've used both formulas, to be honest. I don't know which one I'll use this year, but I think they both are good and get across the symbolism, the meaning of receiving ashes. Yeah. And Ash Wednesday always has a a pretty good turnout of our parishioners coming to Mass, but it's not a holy holy day of obligation. Some people might think it is. Why isn't it a holy day of obligation? I don't know. I mean... It's a day that we encourage Catholics Mm -hmm. to attend Mass, to receive ashes, to mark the beginning of the Lenten season. But you'd have to ask the Pope why it's not a holy day. (laughs) Would you like to see it be a holy day of obligation? No, I don't think it's necessary. We have so many people attend without it being an obligation. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. (laughs) definitely a good way to I have other days start off I, I, I you know I've, I think I might have said on this program I wish I love the, the, I think it's so important the feast of the Annunciation of the mm. Lord I always wondered why that wasn't a holy day another thing that happens for Lent starting with Ash Wednesday is a change in the vestment colors so we'll switch to purple vestments for Lent at least most of Lent there might be a few exceptions what is the reason for that the color symbolism, you know, it's interesting when we look at the different liturgical colors. And I think purple, it's a deep color. It's, it's dark. And I think um, it focuses our attention on the fasting and repentance that's associated with the Lenten season. I think that kind of dark nightlight color hmm. brings that focus. Another thing that we do during Lent is our Catholic Relief Services Rice Bowl program. You mentioned before your involvement with CRS, uh, and how did the whole Rice Bowl thing get started, do you know? Or where does that money go towards? 
I remember it. It's, it's been many years. I don't know when it started, but I think it's a wonderful program because it, it really is, uh, ties in so, so well with the almsgiving, mm-hmm. which is one of the traditional things we, sh- we should be doing during Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Mm-hmm. So I think CRS Rice Bowl is a great practice for families, individuals. We encourage it in our schools, making sacrifices for the poor throughout the world whom we serve through CRS. And I've really been promoting it, and it's been wonderful to see the generosity of the people in our diocese. Every year I see the amount collected for CRS Rice Bowl going up in Hmm. our diocese. I know in some of our schools, for example, they'll do special activities to raise money for Rice Bowl. So it helps. It helps CRS with funding so that it can serve more of the poor and needy in the over 100 countries around the world where CRS serves. And a lot of times you can also donate online too to the Rice Bowl fund drive through the the diocesan website that's correct and you know what else uh kyle i like about rice bowl especially there's an educational component Mm -hmm. to it that there really are some wonderful educational materials that crs produces in conjunction with rice bowl so people can learn about global solidarity Mm -hmm. they can learn about the uh various situations of poverty and underdevelopment throughout the world so that educational component, I encourage people to get on, go on their website of CRS Rice Bowl because there's so many good things. There's also a lot of good spiritual resources on there, sure. like Stations of the Cross and, and other things that tie in with the mission of CRS. Speaking of Stations of the Cross, that's something we typically do on Fridays during Lent at our Catholic schools, at our Catholic parishes. Oh. What is significant about those Fridays during Lent, and what are some other things maybe that we could be doing or should be doing on Fridays during Lent? Well, of course, we're obliged to abstain from meat on Mm -hmm. every Friday during Lent. That's our common penance, we could say. But really, keep in mind, Friday should be a day of penance throughout the year, Mm -hmm. not just during Lent. Although I think in the last couple decades that idea has waned a bit. I I hope it would be uh, renewed because it is the day of our Lord's death. But in Lent especially, Stations of the Cross are a beautiful way. I know most of our parishes offer Stations of the Cross during Lent. I think most of them probably on Fridays, maybe as part of the school day, sometimes in the evening. And there's many various forms of the stations that can be used. There's the traditional ones that that I remember growing up with, the one written by St. Alphonsus Liguori. And then there's others that are more contemporary reflections on each of the 14 stations of the cross. I enjoy sometimes praying the ones that uh, St. John Paul II wrote, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot out there. But I think it's important to, uh, to meditate on our Lord's last hours because it's really a meditation on Christ's love and his love that went so far that he loved us to the end, as St. John says, and the depth of his suffering for us. I think also, besides the Stations of the Cross, the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary mm-hmm. are another wonderful devotion, especially on Fridays during Lent and throughout the year. You mentioned 
abstaining. Can you explain the difference between abstaining and fasting? Yes. Abstaining means not eating meat. The law of abstinence is that we're not allowed to eat meat. Fasting, uh, the canonical fast, is where you just have one full meal a day, kind of a normal meal, and then you're allowed two snacks during the day that don't add up to a second meal. Mm -hmm. That's the technical law, so you don't eat between meals Mm -hmm. on uh, days of fast. There are only two days in the church's year where the law of fast is required, and that is Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Of course, there are people who choose to fast beyond those Mm -hmm. two days. Um, Some people even choose to fast during the whole 40 days of Lent. Now, the requirement of fasting on Good Friday and Ash Wednesday can be dispensed if, you know, there's a uh, medical condition or something that it wouldn't be good for someone to fast. And the law of fast is one in which Catholics who are 18 to 60 years old are required to keep, which made me think that I don't have to keep it anymore because I just (laughs) turned 60, but I I don't feel that old, so I I think I'm going to continue observing it voluntarily, but but it is really 18 to 60, whereas the the, uh, law of abstinence applies to Catholics 14 years or older, and there's no, like, maximum age mm-hmm. when it comes to the day the, the law of abstinence and this is of course for latin catholics latin rite catholics eastern catholics like the byzantine catholics they have their own laws okay. about fasting and abstinence so in speaking about this i'm talking about the western church gotcha whenever we talk about not eating meat on fridays uh, sometimes we substitute this with uh, some kind of fish substitute sometimes very uh, luxurious fish substitutes, either in quantity or in quality. Is there something that we're missing if we are uh, maybe splurging on the <laughs> seafood, if, especially if we really enjoy it yeah. uh, and it's not really making a sacrifice? Is that okay? Should we be then sacrificing something else in exchange or what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, when you think about it, what sacrifice is it to abstain from meat and then go out and have a big like lobster tail right. dinner or something, you know? <laughs> You'd be following the letter of the law, but you wouldn't be following the spirit of the law. Mm, yeah. So I think we, we need to follow both the letter and the spirit of the law. And that means, you know, moderation. Good. Another thing that you mentioned is that the 40 days does not include the Sundays during Lent. So can you settle this once for all? The things that we give up for Lent, should we be giving those up on Sundays during Lent too? Or is that a day that we can take a break from our sacrifice? Oh, I get that question all the time, (laughs) Kyle. It's up to you. Okay. Yeah, it's up to the person. My sense, and this includes myself, I always continue my Lenten sacrifice on the Sundays of Lent. Okay. But it's left up to our freedom whether to do that or not. Someone who decides that on Sundays in Lent, they won't be doing their Lenten sacrifice, the resolution that they made, that's okay. Okay. But my experience is that most Catholics 
do it even on the Sundays of Lent. So there's not an, a yes or no answer to your question. It's up to the individual. I think it's good, though, to decide before Lent begins whether you're going to be doing that particular penance or sacrifice on Sundays or not. But it's left to the freedom of the individual. Yeah. I suppose if you're giving up some kind of a sin, you should also give that up on Sunday. <laughs> well, that's not a good reason. I mean, that, that's the we should always be resolved to not sin. That shouldn't be just during Lent. <laughs> yes. Okay. Can you give us an example of some things that you've done in past Lent? Either something that you've given up or something extra that you've done as a, as a sort of almsgiving? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question because I, I usually try to keep my own penances private, but mm-hmm. because our Lord talks about not, you know bragging about it or yeah. doing it for other things to see. But but in a general way, I always like to do something in each of the three areas of traditional penance, something in the area of fasting, something in the area of prayer, and something in the area of almsgiving. Mm-hmm. So usually in the weeks preceding Lent, I'll think about those three areas. And it may be that one particular year, it depends on where I'm at spiritually, uh-huh. where I, I might decide, well, you know, my main focus is going to be on self-denial through fasting. Mm -hmm. So I might do something that, like not eating desserts. Mm -hmm. That's something that I'll I'll share I have made as a resolution. I have friends who will give up alcohol for the 40 days of Lent. For some people, that can be a pretty big sacrifice. I don't usually do that because it wouldn't be a big deal for me. Uh (laughs) You know, it wouldn't be much of a sacrifice to do without wine or or beer during Lent. So um, another thing in the area of prayer, sometimes I know many people will will make a resolution to go to Mass every day during Lent, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think, beautiful, or pray the Rosary every day during Lent. And I always try to do something that I think will help me in drawing closer to Christ. And my prayer resolutions have varied through the years. I don't always do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'll choose different things, you know, like the Stations of the Cross, praying more frequently or whatever. But it's good to get very concrete and not just say something like, okay, I'm going to do Stations of the Cross during Lent sometimes. You know, we should get pretty concrete so that yeah. we really will do it. Uh, right. So one could say, I'm going to do Stations of the Cross every Friday during Lent. Right. Or I'm going to spend 15 minutes a day meditating on Scripture, the, the readings of the day. I mean, there's all kinds of spiritual prayer resolutions one can make. And then, of course, the area of almsgiving. We shouldn't forget the importance of almsgiving, making sacrifices for, for the poor. Mm-hmm. We just talked about CRS Rice Bowl. I mm-hmm. mean, that's a great resolution for Lent. And and it can be tied in. One of the neat things is sometimes you could tie in almsgiving with fasting. So maybe, for example, you decide that uh, maybe on Fridays at Lent you're just going to have a bowl of soup. Well, maybe the money that you would save from buying food that day, you could uh, put in the Rice Bowl. Sure. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Coming up, we're going to chat about the event that's done in cooperation with the Mormon Church, and we'll have questions submitted by you right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that whatever way that you're listening to this podcast right now could be the same way that you could listen to some of our other shows, like Dr. Doctor, which is a a great medical show that we have. 
It's available through the Redeemer Radio app. It's available through any podcasting app and also available on RedeemerRadio.com. So if you want to listen to more episodes of The Kyle Hyman Show, if you would like to listen to Truth and Charity or Dr. Doctor, just search for those wherever you get podcasts or look for them in the audio library on the Redeemer Radio app. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here. We're going to be asking questions that you've submitted in just a minute. Before we do, though, yesterday we celebrated Fat Tuesday, which too late to make any plans for that now. But for for the future, can you explain what Fat Tuesday is? And sometimes I kind of wonder whenever we are maybe binging before a fast or something like that, again, if we're missing some of the point. Oh, it's that's a good question. You know, Fat Tuesday, you know, in French, it's Mardi Gras. Okay. And we all often think of New Orleans and their Mardi Gras. I think in, especially in Catholic countries, this developed into quite a, a celebration that people would celebrate and kind of go maybe, uh, you know, with food and, and parties and everything before they began the season of the fast. Uh So I don't see a problem with it as long as it doesn't degenerate into something, you know, to debauchery or something. I remember growing up, we would call it Donut Day uh, Uh or Fasnacht Day, and I I enjoyed that. We always got these delicious donuts at the um, German parish in my hometown. I know in some countries, like in in Great Britain, I think they have what's called Pancake Day. Uh uh, You know, it originated because... You know, at one time, you weren't able to eat eggs and meat and dairy during Lent, so you kind of like they would get together and eat all of it before Lent began. You oh, know? Okay, so yeah. I think that was one <laughs> of the... Using up your reserves. Right, yeah. But I think to have one last feast before the austerity of Lent, as long as it's not doesn't go overboard, is, is all right. And in some places, that period from... The last Sunday before Lent through Fat Tuesday is celebrated. For example, I remember in Italy and I think in other Mediterranean countries, they have Carnivale or mm-hmm. Carnival, which means, by the way, goodbye to meat. Huh. So Carnivale, makes goodbye sense. to yeah. meat. So anyhow, it can be, uh, I think it's okay in moderation again. All right. Well, another event that happened recently is the Strengthening Marriage and the Family, Building a Christ-Centered Home that was done at St. Therese Little Flower Parish. And I was at this event last year, and it's kind of an interesting event because it's done in cooperation with the Catholic Church and the Mormon Church. How did this get started? Well, you know, it was the initiative of the uh, officials of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they go by LDS, the Mormons, Mm -hmm. where they reached out to me both in South Bend and in Fort Wayne. Especially in South Bend, they reached out because they wanted to help out our Catholic charities, which I thought was a wonderful uh, initiative. So this friendship between the Catholic Church and in our diocese and the Mormon Church, I think has been a good thing, especially focusing on areas of agreement. And in this case, we share similar beliefs about strong marriages and family life. And that's why we've had these conferences, both in Fort Wayne and South Bend, on marriage and family. And they really went well. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of good talks, a lot of good discussion. Of course, there's some major doctrinal differences Mm -hmm. between the Catholic Church and the Mormon Church. But there are these areas of agreement on marriage and family that that we can focus on and also in 
in our charitable outreach in the community. Back in 2001, the Vatican was asked about the validity of Mormon baptisms, and, mm-hmm. and the answer was in the negative. And it's basically because of the uh, difference in our doctrine on the Most Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. But that's a major disagreement between our churches, and that's why we don't, uh, we don't recognize the validity of, of Mormon baptisms. And, you know, the Mormon church also practices baptism for the dead, and, and that's something that, of course, we don't believe in. The event, though, focuses on the family and our relationships within family, and sometimes the, the attack on the family that's happening in our world. Uh, what do you hope that people would get out of an event like this, or uh, do you have any message for families on this topic? Well, I gave a keynote address at the event, so mm-hmm. I focused on strengthening marriage and building a Christ-centered home. So I focused a lot on the importance of faith in a marriage, the importance of prayer, and also practical tips on uh, growing in, in marital love and building a good Christian family. So I think a lot of people through their discussion, the different presentations, there were some panels, I think the people who attended really benefited from hearing the different perspectives on on how they can grow, couples especially can grow in their marriages. Mm-hmm. What was really amazing at the conference in South Bend a few weeks ago was all the children. They had uh, babysitting oh. and childcare during it. I mean, there must've been like 80 little ones. I mean, real little ones. Yeah. So it, it was interesting how many young married couples came for the conference. All right. Well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll ask questions submitted by listeners right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you have submitted for him to answer. Our first question comes from Stuart Sexton from St. Andrew's Eastern Catholic Mission Parish in Fort Wayne. He said, Glory to Jesus Christ. Before I ask my question, I'll answer Kyle's question first. We in the Byzantine churches make the sign of the cross from right to left as a reminder that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. This is referring to the January 17th episode of Truth and Charity. Now for my question, I wasn't able to attend at Notre Dame when you gave your homily during Divine Liturgy. Is there a transcript of your homily one could read? Stuart, thanks for your question. And, um, you know, I'm going to have to check. Sometimes my homilies are posted on the diocesan website. So what I'll do is I'll make sure it gets posted on the diocesan website. Um, I don't know if it's online yet, but... uh, but I will put it there. Okay. And, uh, and Stuart, you might be interested in to know, or if you, I don't know if you've read my uh, Lenten message, which was in this past week's Today's Catholic. And you'll notice when you read the homily that I basically adapted that homily and made it my Lenten message for the whole diocese. Okay. And it's focused on the parable of the tax collector, the publican, and the Pharisee. All right. One of our listeners asked, why don't we use the Y word anymore? I've seen this written as Y-H-W-H. I don't know if we're not supposed to say this in public or if it's only in liturgies or what the situation is with that. Yeah, I mean, we it's the Hebrew name for God 
is not to be used or pronounced in in liturgies in even okay. in hymns or uh or prayers and that was something that came out about 10 years ago from the vatican congregation for divine worship and the discipline of the sacrament so the word yahweh basically it's y-h-w-h four hebrew letters it's called the tetragrammaton the tetragrammaton these four hebrew letters for god in english we pronounce it as yahweh but there's really no vowels in it mm -hmm. so basically it was never pronounced by the jewish people so therefore the vatican has said we should not use it in our liturgical prayers or songs and it should be translated as lord which mm -hmm. is really a different hebrew word adonai or it can be just translated as god okay. um but i'd say one of the things is the title or the name i should say yahweh really is is a name that's expression of the the greatness the infinite greatness and majesty of god and that's why it was held to be unpronounceable and then was replaced for example in sacred scripture by using the word adonai which is lord or as i said i think in the liturgical text now i think we just translate it as god and so is this something that's a catholic belief or is this more done in respect to our jewish brothers and sisters I think it's probably both. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to remember the decree from the Congregation for Divine Worship. I think it's it's basically also part of Christian tradition. Okay. I, I don't think that Yahweh was, was used or pronounced, for example, in earlier texts of the liturgy. I think it's been more of a recent phenomenon, okay. especially in songs. Mm-hmm. All right. Robert Kloska from South Bend wrote, On my street in South Bend, we have families that attend St. Matthew, St. Anthony, Corpus Christi, Sacred Heart, Holy Cross, and St. Joseph. It seems that the church no longer uses geographic boundaries. What are some good reasons and bad reasons for changing parishes? And is it okay with Bishop Rhodes if a family changes parishes because they no longer like its dynamics? Thank you, Bob, for that question. Parishes still have geographical boundaries, so I think that's important for everyone to know. However, we leave it up to the freedom of individuals and families to register in the parish where, where their homes are located. We don't insist that they have to participate in that parish. I think if one's looking, that should be the first place one looks, mm -hmm. is where one is geographically located. And this is important also because it also gets to the question when you think of a pastor of a parish, like who are the people he's responsible to serve? And basically he's responsible to serve those within his parish boundaries. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have a non-practicing Catholic, or let's say a situation comes up regarding a funeral or a wedding, then it becomes an important issue. If the person's not registered, for example, somewhere else, it's the it's the pastor of the parish where the family's located that has the responsibility for ministry to that family. So that's another important reason for geographical boundaries. But I do understand sometimes there are situations where a family feels that they're that they really are attached to 
another parish for whatever reason, and it's not the parish where they're located. Mm -hmm. So we respect their freedom to, to register in that other parish. Is there, responding to his question, is there any litmus test for what is a good reason or a bad reason, or is that No, subjective? it's hard to say. I, I don't know. I, I think, um, I know there is a, sometimes a lot of parish shopping that uh -huh. goes on. I would discourage the idea, for example, of people just shifting parishes a lot. It's good to integrate into the parish community. Mm -hmm. So I know sometimes, you know, people might just follow, it, it's all about the the, the priest mm -hmm. and then they just move around with the priest i think the parish affiliation should be stronger than that yeah all right well you can ask your question by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask bishop you can call or text the holy cross college text line at 260-436-9598 and we have more of your questions coming up right here on truth and charity with bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union I want to make sure that you know that Redeemer Radio has an app. It's free. If you have a smartphone or a tablet of any kind, any brand, you can just do a search for Redeemer Radio in your app store, and you can get a free download of this app. That will let you stream live. It will let you listen to past episodes of The Kyle Hyman Show, Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, Dr. Doctor. Also in the app, we have the Redeemer Reflections, which is a two-minute reflections from our priest or deacon here in the diocese. Uh, also, we've got the daily readings and much more. So check out the Redeemer Radio app in your app store. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman asking the questions that you've asked and the first question here comes from Jennifer Zerbal from St. Vincent's Parish in Fort Wayne why did God change Saul's name to Paul thanks Jennifer a lot of people ask that question the answer is pretty simple God did not change Saul's name to Paul oh. um, it was sometime after Saul's conversion from Judaism to Christianity the conversion on the road to Damascus where um in the scriptures, we start seeing, not immediately, but eventually, we start seeing Saul referred to as Paul. But if you notice, it really happens when he starts going out on mission, especially into the uh, Roman world, into the Gentile mm -hmm. world. And there, the name Saul is Paul. That's the Latin name. Oh. The Latin name is Paul. So there was no change. Jesus did not change Saul's name to Paul. Uh -huh. It's basically just a different language. Saul's the, the Hebrew name and uh, Paul's the Latin name. So it's not like when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, which right. you know signified the special role that Peter would have in the church. That did not have, there's no name change in the case of Paul. It's just a different language. So if a man named Joseph would go to Mexico and they say, what is your name? He might say, Jose. Jose. Right. He didn't really change his name, just right. they would it, understand that better. Exactly. Huh. Interesting. Andy Wright from Saints Peter and Paul in Huntington said, I have some friends who are concerned about Pope Francis's encyclical Amoris Laetitia, as well as some of his comments and actions as Pope. When people criticize the Pope, how should we understand that as Catholics, and how can we best support him as our Holy Father? Thank you for all you do for our diocese, and God bless. Thanks a lot, Andy. I think many weeks ago or a couple months ago, I had a question very similar. Mm -hmm. But I, I, would, I would summarize an answer by saying that we all as Catholics owe respect and reverence for our Holy Father. Mm -hmm. Even if some Catholics don't agree with everything the Pope says, 
of course they they are required to assent to what he says in matters of faith and morals where he speaks with uh in a definitive way mm -hmm. i mean that's that's true but but there might be other things where something the pope might say in a in a in a plain interview or right. or wherever that maybe someone doesn't like and that's okay i mean people don't have to like everything the pope says or does but one should always have respect and reverence for the pope mm -hmm. and i think also it's important to pray for the holy father imagine his responsibility yeah uh, the responsibility that's on his shoulders we should pray for him often all right one more question that was submitted would your childhood friends be surprised that you chose religious life? What do your best friends from high school do now? <laughs> I don't think most of my childhood friends were, were surprised yeah. when I went to the seminary. As far as the best friends, what they do now, I'm really only in touch with a few, uh -huh. to be honest, from Lebanon Catholic High School. They're all married. And they have children and grandchildren at this point. Uh -huh. And uh, they're in a variety of different occupations. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, my contact with them is not as frequent, frequent as I would like. We didn't have a class reunion a couple years ago on our 40th anniversary. I'm hoping we have another one, though, for the 50th. Any other priests or religious from your or 45th class? Um, no, I'm the only one. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Bishop, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to, to share a little bit with us and answer some of our questions. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Have a good Lent. Tune in next Wednesday at noon for an all-new episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Topics will include the Catholic Community Foundation of Northeast Indiana, its purpose and importance, as well as its new beginning in the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese. And now that RCIA season has begun, Bishop will talk about the right of election and some of the steps to becoming a Catholic. Then it's on to the upcoming diocesan-wide reconciliation service, The Light is On for You which will be February 28th. Check out past episodes of Truth and Charity by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. And while there, submit a question or two for Bishop to answer on a future show. Truth and Charity is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.